is Jamie. I am uh, uh, on staff here as one of the pastors, and um, it's just been a huge joy and a humble privilege for me to, to serve in this way. Um, as you know, um, we've been walking through the membership process uh, together, I mean, even if You've been a member of this church for years, decade, a decade plus. Or if you're just brand new or just checking things out and are potentially interested in membership, this is the point. Uh, it's like uh, uh, Lombardi, Coach Lombardi, t- you know, taking his team of professional athletes and, and asking in every year, saying, oh, by the way, this is a football. And um, so we've looked at the big story that, be, that gives meaning to all of our stories, the gospel. We've looked at what does church membership mean and what, why does it, does it matter. We've looked at um, what Be Free Dover's story is and, and how we have seen God's hand um, repeatedly, time after time, uh, showing up um, throughout our 15 years here. Um, if you've been tracking with us uh, or you've, you've watched the other three, three messages, you would have, you would, and, and if you'd like to take the next step toward membership, um, you, if you could email Christy Tripp, um, that's befreetrip at gmail.com. We, we, we would be happy to, to walk you through it. Um, the main question we want to look at together this morning relates to soil conditions. What are the conditions, what are the environments that are essential for us to grow, not only grow as disciples, but to make disciples? In his uh, life here on earth, um, Jesus, more than being the Son of God, more than being the King of Kings, more than being the Lord of Lords, uh, was an extraordinary teacher. The crowds flocked to him, and they flocked to him first and foremost because of what he taught and the way in which he taught Um, and how it demonstrated his unrivaled authority, unlike anything they'd ever experienced or heard. But they were also drawn to him because he taught these complex kingdom principles with everyday illustrations. We know them as parables. So Matthew starts his his treatment of the the parable, chapter 13, um, and he says, uh, after sharing a a few uh, parables, Matthew writes, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. So the first one uh, that Matthew shares is found earlier in that same chapter, chapter 13. He begins this way. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat And then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath. And the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and 
choked out the, uh, the, the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as it had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now we're going to skip down to verse 18, where Jesus explains this parable to his disciples. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30 60, even a hundred times as much as had been planted. This is the word of the Lord. The seed and the soil. Jesus explains that the seed he's talking about in the parable is is the message about the kingdom, verse 19. The message about the kingdom, which is the message of the gospel. So someone... uh, Maybe, maybe someone here might ask, what in the world do you mean by gospel? Well, gospel comes from, from the Greek word euangelion, and it literally means good news or news that brings great joy. In Greco, uh, Greco-Roman times, the term was not, not a religious term. It was, it was a term that was used a lot by people um, uh, to describe not, not just good news, but news of a life-changing, history-altering nature. So here are a couple of instances um, outside the Bible when the term was used. Okay, number one, a major wartime victory. When the Greeks defeated the Persians in the Battle of Marathon and the Battle of Solness, messengers were sent to deliver euangelion, good news, the gospel the gospel of those victories to the Greek cities. Good news. The battle has been won. We won't have to be enslaved to those nasty Persians. So that's number one, a major wartime victory. Number two, a a new ruler was born, and with it, a peaceful continuation of power. There's an ancient Roman inscription from the same period that reads, the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. So th- this word gospel was associated with, a, with the birth of a new emperor, which, which again, which meant a, a peaceful transition of power. Everywhere Jesus went, he was announcing the ultimate gospel, the ultimate euangelion, the gospel of the kingdom of God. God's rule had come. The prophet Isaiah prayed, oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. Jesus was announcing that 
this was happening. That the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has broken open the heavens and come down. And he came in a way that no one expected, in a manger, uh, to parents who were impoverished, um, to ultimately to, to work a blue-collar job. But he came to win a victory for humanity, which we all were desperate for. And his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, would deal a final blow to our ultimate enemies, sin and death. That's that is very good news. That is the gospel of all gospels. But looking, just a second, no, I'm sorry. Um, But looking back to the parable of the sower, Jesus doesn't explain the specifics of the gospel uh, during this particular time. You know, he, he doesn't go into all kinds of detail about the ramifications of this gospel. Uh, instead, he's talking, when he's teaching about the parable of the sower, he's talking about the conditions that are needed in order for the seed, the gospel, to survive, but not only survive, thrive. What Jesus is saying is this, the conditions of the soil of the heart matter. They matter a lot. Every farmer, <laughs> every gardener, every houseplant owner knows this. It's, it's not rocket science. Let's, let's look at this briefly. He talks about the footpath first. The footpath was a naked condition. It's hard-packed. It's, it, uh, it's very vulnerable. It's exposed. And this leads to the enemy, the, like a bird, coming along and snatching what was planted there, snatching what was sown. The rocks. Rocky soils are superficial soils. Conditions lacking depth. And when the heat of life comes, as it always does, in the, in the form of a health thing, in the form of a financial thing, in the form of a, a relational brokenness thing, you name it. That's the heat of life. Well, this surfacey experience of the gospel leads to giving up instead of growing up. The thorns. The thorns represent the crowded out conditions. Soon the, the cares and concerns, the worries and the wealth crowd out the gospel. Before you know it, one's bank account or one's social status or one's worries about the future, whatever, they begin to matter more than the person of Jesus. So what is seen, what is unseen, can't compete with what is seen. The good soil. The good soil is free of all that. The person has been freed of being spiritually exposed, freed of being spiritually unprotected, but is now safe and secure. The, the good soil frees a person from, from being servicey, which leads to giving up instead of growing up. The conditions of the soil have, have allowed this person to think and feel deeply about the full ramifications of the gospel. So naturally, 
This leads to perseverance. This leads to endurance. The good soil frees us from those things in this world that have a tendency of choking out and crowding out the vision of the gospel. Instead, this gospel has the best, the best chance of taking root in life. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. These are the good soils, the healthy soils that naturally bring growth. So if we want to maintain freedom from all, all of these other areas, whether it's the, the footpath, the rocky soil, the thorns, we have to practice. We have to have practices in our lives to protect us from those dangers, right? Um, James K. A. Smith um, has written, our heart's desires are shaped and molded by the habit-forming practices in which we participate daily. So there, there are three main practices we do together. We gather, we scatter, and we serve. We gather, we scatter, and we serve. Let's take those one at a time. We gather. God has always gathered his people. We, we've included a, a handful of, uh, of instances in your packets, but um, as he was just establishing his people, um, and they were still, like, uh, they'd been rescued from Egypt, and, but this was before they'd entered the promised land, God says to them in, in Deuteronomy 4.10, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days, of, uh, all the days they live on earth and that they may teach their children so. After, after Jesus had died, risen, and ascended to heaven, Luke gives us this description of, of this practice of the early church in Acts 2. It was very famous. Um, verse, I believe, it's verse 47. They worshiped together in the temple, in the temp, at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to the, the fellowship those who were being saved. Gathering provides a public environment to hear, to proclaim the gospel. That's, that's what you're experiencing. Martin Luther uh, wrote, the, the truth of the gospel is, is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. I love that. This, this is a classic Martin Luther. So when we're in the habit of gathering together weekly, we're beating this gospel into our heads. I'll just, I'll just walk through a typical, a typical Sunday from the call to worship. I don't know about you, uh, but I am not in a place mentally or emotionally most weeks to worship God. Confession. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure it's, it's the case for you. You're wrangling kids. 
come on, get in the car, and, and uh, um, well, we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> so I, I find great comfort in the line uh, from the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. That's what we're doing when we read the call to worship together. We're tuning our hearts. We're warming ourselves up. It's, it's like the first violinist tuning our hearts to the gospel. Then we sing. We, we sing partly because it's a, a preview of eternity, but mostly we're singing because our minds need to be renewed by the rehearsal of God's truth. That's beating it into our heads. And then, then we usually, like today, uh, have a prayer of confession. This is an opportunity to be honest with God. That's simp- that is, if you wanted to boil down confession, what, what you're doing when you're confessing, you're just being honest with God. You're, 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 um, you're, you're telling him, God, I am broken. I am in need of your grace. Please forgive me. Please help me and empower me to live better. Uh, to, the, to the teaching from God's word, like I'm doing. You know, th- these aren't moralistic lessons like here's a few tweaks and changes you need to make to make your life better. No, no, no. Uh, we, we teach the story God has revealed throughout Scripture, the story of the gospel. It's a story um, that displays how great God is, but it's also a story we've been written into. To the benediction. This, <laughs> this, this is a continuation of, of God beating the gospel into our heads. We're at the benediction, we're, we're given a, a reminder that we have not only come to be served, be fed, but to feed a world that needs Jesus. The truth is, until Christ returns, we continue to be broken mirrors, living in a world of broken mirrors. We're like funhouse mirrors. All of us, every single one of us. We need to develop habits and practices of growing disciples. In this gathering, it, it's like practice. The, the rest of your life is on the field. This isn't game time. Out there is game time. Game time is you with your three-year-old in the middle market basket when she's having a meltdown, a temper tantrum. Uh, Game time is you solving problems at work and bringing order out of chaos as as God's image bearer. Game time is, is you sitting alone with your computer facing a million temptations in the face but choosing to be satisfied in Christ. Game time is you having coffee or dinner with one of your friends who doesn't know Christ and, and listening to the Spirit's guidance all along in that conversation. That's, that's game time. That's why we gather like we're doing. It's to equip you for game time. It's one of our core practices to beat the gospel into our wandering hearts, to beat it into our forgetful minds.
It's all practice. It's all rehearsal for game time. That's why we gather. Number two, we scatter. Look at the first part of um, verse 47 of Acts 2 again. They worship together at the temple each day. That's public gathering. But look at the next phrase. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. Remember what Tim said last week. The church is God's family of new creations. Scattering into smaller groups. We, we call them community groups here. Uh, this practice provides us with an, an, an essential environment for people to experience the family of Jesus Christ. So, um, they, they give us unique uh, opportunities to, to confess sin to one another. These, this kind of confession is, is different than the times of, of confession during our worship gathering. Uh, times of confession in, in uh, a CG are times when you can say, you know what, guys, I blew it in this area. Um, th these are ways and times uh, you can pray for me. You, you can't really do that in a worship gathering environment like this. We, we, we need a smaller environment. S interaction with the word of God. There's, there's absolutely a place for what I am doing here, proclaiming the gospel. But, it, but it's all monologue. I'm, I'm talking at you. You need another environment, one in which you can dialogue, one in which you can talk together. I'm amazed uh, by, the, by the work of the Spirit, shining the light on his word when our, when our CG's gathering. Um, this is... This is uh, you know, you, you hear questions raised, doubts expressed, insights shared. You, you can't, obviously, do that here. That's not the point of here. It's the point of going smaller. I like to, to, to liken them as uh, the, the air campaign and the ground campaign. You need both. Community groups uh, allow you to, to share pains and growth points. Um, they allow you to, to talk about how you're growing or how, you're, how God's blessing you or how he, he's answered prayer. It's, it's, it's also the environment to talk about hard stuff and, and invite him to, to uh, um, and invite one another to, to help carry the load. Again, you, you can't really do that here. You can't really know. I mean, imagine all of us knowing each other intimately. It's, it would be impossible. Jesus um, spent plenty of time with the crowds, but most of his time he was spending with the, with the 12. And of that, he spent time, significant time, with the three or the four. Why? Because he was limited. He, he limited himself when he came to earth. Ryan, Ryan Burge, a political science scientist at Eastern Illinois University, has done research 
on the, the steep decline of church attendance. And that's uh, kind of interesting uh, looking, considering the past year and a half we've experienced. He says, church attendance is the first thing that goes, then belonging, then believing in that order. So it's, it's no wonder that the writer of Hebrews writes, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need to encourage each other not to neglect the gathering, what we're doing here, nor the scattering. The scattering. Um, when I'm in the habit of running, which I'm not, <laughs> I've got to get back in the practice again, but when I am, I think, man, I, uh, man, I don't want to do this. <laughs> but once I'm out there running, uh, I'm generally glad I did. Now imagine if I was a part of a team. Uh, and, and this is a team who is, who's prepping for the next game. And they're depending on me and, and I on them uh, for all of our unique contributions. We're depending on each other. That's, that's what it's like to be a part of the church. Not only in our gathered life, but in our scattered life. The writer of um, uh, Hebrews says, don't neglect the gathering, as is the habit of some. Don't take this lightly. Don't be lax about the practice of gathering. Don't be lax about the practice of scattering. This is for your health. This is good soil. So we gather, we scatter. There's one more critical leg on this three-legged stool. We serve. We serve. There's something like 59 places in the New Testament where we're told to how to treat one another or how not to treat one another. Love one another, serve one another, confess sin to one another, rebuke one another, submit to one another, teach one another. I'll leave it at that. Serving provides, serving provides ways to live out our unique God-given fullness in Christ by meeting the tangible needs of the church community and also by meeting the needs of the greater community as well. I love this quote. Tim Keller uh, wrote in his first book, Ministries of Mercy, he, uh, okay, let's get, from the pulpit, in classes, by word of mouth, it must be communicated that every lay person is a minister and that ministry is finding needs and meeting them with a the goal of the spread of the kingship of Christ. Here are the tenets that need to be affirmed and embraced by the members. Every believer is a prophet, a priest, and a king. Here's what he means by that. We are all prophets. Every believer is to exhort 
Hebrews 3.13, counsel, Romans 15.14, evangelize, Acts 8, and teach, Colossians 3, with the word dwelling richly within. You must speak. As a priest, you have access to the presence of God, as did the priests of old. You have the responsibility to offer spiritual sacrifices and deeds of mercy, Romans 12, 1-2, Hebrews 13, 16. You must serve. As a king, you have authority over the world, the flesh, and the devil. We all have divine weapons to demolish strongholds and obstacles to the kingdom of Christ. You must take charge. This doctrine is called the universal office of believer and is nothing short of revolutionary. So we, we provide lots of opportunities all the time uh, for, for you to serve. Sunday mornings, like we've, we've been mentioning, hey, the greeting, the greeting team needs help. The coffee team needs help. The tech team, projection, um, sound, uh, live stream, worship. This doesn't just happen. It needs a lot of people uh, to be on the rotation. Um, but beyond Sunday mornings, the Mercy Team gives lots of opportunities to serve the greater community at the House of Hope, at the Friendly Kitchen, um, through this uh, opportunity that we had to be able to, to help that um, uh, mom in need a, a few weeks ago. Uh, these are great ways in which we can be salt and light, not only to one another, but to the community at large. Opportunities to be generous, opportunities to help, opportunities to have mercy on one another, opportunities to show the joy and hope of the gospel in action, not only with words. So a couple of questions for you as you, th as you think about, about this particular thing, serving. Have you spent some time discerning how God has uniquely gifted you? That's an interesting question, right? There, there's lots of um, tests online, free tests that can, can ask you questions and you know, sort of um, pinpoint um, your specific giftedness. But have you done that? Um, secondly, who has affirmed these, these gifts for you. In other words, uh, it, it's not just us thinking, oh, I think I have the gift of uh, teaching or I have the gift of administration or leadership. You know, uh, we need the confirmation of others. That's how God has wired his church. And thirdly, how are you, how are you using these gifts? We make disciples through this God-given pattern of gathering, scattering, and serving. This is the good soil, the healthy conditions, the habit-forming practices that shape and mold our hearts. So do you see how much God desires to not only do a great work in you, but a great work through you? When... Um, when Kylie and I were, were first married, we, uh, we became members of a, of a church in the area. 
And the membership process took like several weeks, like as it usually does. And the senior pastor was at one of these sessions. And I'll never forget some of the first words out of his mouth. He said, in some way, shape, or form, we will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. You can bet on that. And as a, as a 24-year-old idealist, I was kind of taken aback by that uh, comment. What? Yeah, right off the bat, you're telling us you're going to disappoint us? But now that I'm a bit older, got a bit of gray in my beard, uh, maybe, maybe a bit wiser, I can see exactly why he said that. Be free will disappoint you. Because all of us have something in common. We're sinners. <laughs> Selfish, broken. For now, we're a broken institution, a broken bride. And, and, and that's the mess you're invited into. But if you count the cost, if you've already counted the cost, you've already seen the benefits, you're ready to dive in. You're ready to do life together. And we would love to have you. We'd love to see God do a great work in you and through you. That's always, that's, that's always been his way of doing things. It's like a cul-de-sac uh, versus a highway. I, you know, I, I don't want to be a cul-de-sac. I don't want to have th all these spiritual goods and not be able to bless others with them. No, I want to be a highway of taking the gospel in all shapes and sizes to the next person, to the next town, to the next whatever. So um, this, this pretty much concludes the membership um, portion. If you'd like to, as I said, if you'd like to take a step, we would be happy to walk with you through it. Um, but it, it's, it's been a joy for, for me, you know, to, to look at the football. Hey, this is, this is why we exist. This is our story. This is, these are all the ways we've seen God work in individual lives, but in us collectively. It's awesome. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your mercy on us. Um, I'm always reminded of those words from uh, Ephesians 2, which says, man, we were dead in our transgressions, dot, 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 but God had mercy, God had grace. That's the kind of God you are. And I thank you for, for, your, for your church um, and, and all of its brokenness and all of its sinfulness. I, I thank you that you keep choosing to use us. You keep choosing to work with us. And I pray for Be Free in their next chapter of life together um, that you will do even more than anyone can ask or imagine. We pray for marriages. We pray for uh, the kids' development. We pray for our, our 
our community groups. We pray for um, um, the, the, the mercy team and uh, ways that we are um, coming alongside people inside the church and outside in the greater community. I pray for, for all these things, that you would bless us. We ask for that boldly. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.